KT, have you noticed that interest rates long-term are starting to go down little by little? Yeah, what are we going to do about it? I tell you what I think everybody should do about it. You should go to myalliant.com and take advantage of the one-year to 17-month certificate of deposit. They're currently paying 5.15% or 5.20% for amounts of $75,000 or more. Tell them one more time, KT, where they should go. Go to myalliant.com today. Now you know. February 4th, 2021. Welcome, everybody. You know what today is, Katie? February 4th. <laughs> You're so funny. <laughs> this is Ask Susie and... KT. And wait, everyone knows it's Susie and KT's show. Next year, it possibly could be KT, Ask Susie. What would you ask me if you could ask me something? Oh, I'd ask you. You ask me something every day. I ask her things all day long. Sell, 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 she says. Yeah. Why aren't we selling? But KT, what do you think about- Wait, we're talking about the stock market sell. I hate the stock market. KT, don't tell people you hate the stock market. I hate when she makes a ton of money and tells me, and I say, Susie, sell it. Don't lose it. Sell it. She goes, no. Aren't you glad I didn't sell the other day? Yeah, I'm really glad she made a bundle more. <laughs> right, so, okay. But KT, before we do questions, what do you think about GameStop? How do you think I Wait. did on Sunday's podcast? Great. Oh, you called it, girlfriend. Really perfect. Everyone's telling me, Susie, for the first time, made sense out of all this news <laughs> called GameStop. Even Columbia, you all know Colo. He said, okay, T, I know GameStop. I used to go there and rent games. They're never going to go back in business again. (laughs) (laughs) They might. You don't know. But for those of you, just a little update. Most of you, as I told you, bought into the stock. And if you don't know what we're talking about, where have you been? But anyway, at about $325 a share, it's now around $95, $100 a share right in there. So it has gone down considerably. And just so you know, when a stock goes down like about 70%, it has to go up almost 300 some odd percent just for you to break even. Just think about that, everybody. Also, Katie, I just have to say this. Can I say something else? (laughs) There are so many great ways to make money. Did you see the earnings on Google? Did you see all these stocks that are skyrocketing today? Can't you just simply want to invest in companies that have good earnings, have a good product that really have some place to go versus making money because you're getting people to short stocks and cover really everybody? That's all I want to say. Okay. Here we go, Susie. Here's our first question. Hi, Susie. 
I've been listening to your podcast for years now. I'm proud to say my husband and I have been debt-free since 2018. We sold our first home, paid off student loans, car payments, credit cards, and switched to renting, investing for retirement and building a big emergency fund. She's doing great. Yeah, so what does now, she need me for? <laughs> wait, listen to this. All right, I am. I can relate to this one. I'll tell you a story after. Now, we just tried to get pre-approved for a home loan to buy a house. It turns out I have no credit scores due to credit inactivity since 2018. My husband, on the other hand, has excellent credit because he kept an open credit card. Our new lender has advised me to immediately get added to my mother's credit card, my husband's credit card, and even take out a car loan to start building credit right away. Is this sound advice? What should I do to start? Now, even though I make a great income, I have savings and investments and no bad credit. The lender said I would not be approved for a home loan for another 30 days, presuming I take the steps to build my credit. My husband has a pre-approved loan on his own. I was hoping to co-sign for this one. What's your advice, Susie? She said, wait, she said, I feel like a moron due to this oversight. You're not a moron. Right, Susie, tell her what Why to do. Why did you squinch your face when she, say, when she said co-sign? You don't do that. Wait. Um, I'm like looking wait, at wait, KT wait. and I'm like, You give the advice and then I'm going to tell my story. Oh, here we go. This is going to be listen to KT and Susie talk today. <laughs> but anyway, what was her name? Glenn Ann. Glenn Ann. A few things. Okay. Number one, if your husband can qualify for the loan all on his own, and he has a really high FICO score, so you're going to get a really low interest rate, why doesn't he just take it out on his own? Big deal. And then add you on the title to the house. That's all. So you're on the title you own the house, you're just not responsible for the loan. That way, if ever he's not your husband again, oh, did you just win big? <laughs> That's, not Truthfully, nice. That's not nice. But it's <laughs> true. If, if you can do that, you should do that. Is it true that your mother, if she has a high FICO score, could add your name onto her credit card and then your, that her FICO score would become your FICO score. Same thing with your husband and all that. It's true. Do not take a loan out on a car just to get a FICO score. What I would do if I were you, if you have a house that really you want right now to buy, have your husband do what I said, open up a credit card in your own name, start charging on it and paying it off in full every month, and your FICO score will come back. I'm not too worried about it. So just keep your life simple, okay? So wait, I'm going to tell my story real quick. Of course you are. Glenn Ann, the same thing happened to me. Oh, when you moved back from Asia to America. My good credit didn't count in the United States, and I had to start all over and open cards. Well, that's what she has to do, yeah. but she's lucky enough, right, that she has a husband with a good FICO score that is pre-qualified for a loan. Great. So you should have known me back then. <laughs> I wish I did. <laughs> oh, my God. I wouldn't have to work. Like you're working now? 
Everybody knows you don't work Sundays. Don't work Sunday. Okay, ready? <laughs> this is from Karen. Hi, Susie. My husband and I are both retired and currently funding our revocable trust. We want to put money from our traditional IRAs in the trust, but we aren't sure if there's a product that we can move that money into that can go into the trust. We want that money to be income producing while it's in the trust. We know that we will be paying taxes on the money we take from the pre-tax IRAs, and we'll need to do that over time. Is a Roth IRA an option for us? Thanks for your help. So Karen, if you change money from your traditional IRA, which is pre-tax, and you take it out to, just to put it in the trust, you said it, you're going to owe taxes on that. And even if you do it little by little, you're still going to owe taxes on it. I don't know, given that it's in a traditional IRA, why don't you just leave it there? Let it continue to grow tax deferred, wait until you're no longer working or whatever, and just make sure that the beneficiary of the IRA is first your spouse and then the trust. But honest to God, I would not be withdrawing money from a traditional IRA just to get it into the trust to possibly get it into a Roth IRA. I wouldn't be doing it. I would just leave it where it is, especially if you're in a high income tax bracket. <laughs> what does that look for now? Because this next question is really long. I'm going to do my best but it might pertain to quite a few of you out there. And it's from a man. We love men questions. So this is, Dear Susie, I'm soon to be a 60-year-old married man who is smart enough to listen. And your 2021 predictions have got me thinking about my plans for retirement. I plan to take Social Security at 70 and not begin to take withdrawals from my retirement accounts until that time. I have a TSP retirement with a balance of 750000 invested in the Lifestyle 2040 Fund. Stop. Yeah, tell them what that is. No, you tell them okay, what that he's is. Okay, a, he's a military man. Uh-huh. So the Lifestyle 2040 Fund <laughs> is something Susie's going to explain to all of us right now. <laughs> I knew the TSP part. Yeah, the Thrift Savings Plan. The Lifestyle 2040 Plan is simply the money is invested as if he is going to continue to work until he retires in the year 2040. So they invest the money properly for somebody who is retiring at that time. So they're selling things and buying things. They're getting more conservative as time goes on. And that's what that is, KT. Okay. Is it good? What if it was a lifestyle 2080 plan? What would that mean? Oh, they'd be dead by the time. <laughs> All right, never mind. Go on, continue on. Right. My, my husband is employed, but my retirement assets are the ones we are counting on. He will also continue to work in the years ahead. So here's the question. Hearing you predict and fully expecting the market to correct or drop this year, perhaps as early as March, and remain volatile for a few years, should I restructure how my retirement savings is invested to prevent losses? Well, good luck on that, right, Susie? Now go on, right. go on. I have considered moving a good portion of the balance of my TSP 
for a period of time into the G fund, which will protect it in the event of a significant market drop. My understanding is that I can easily return it to the lifestyle fund, which is the 2040, or any of the other funds with no real cost to me other than possible loss of gains from keeping it in an expanding market. So the question is, should I do nothing and just wait and ride out any correction, knowing I plan not to touch most of this money for five to eight years? Or should I reallocate to a more conservative investment allocation? What are your thoughts? I hate to do nothing and possibly risk losses that folks looking at retirement back in 2008 suffered. Thank you for all you do. This is from Liam. I love that name. One of the men smart enough to listen. Liam. So a few things. Number one, we don't really know what's going to happen in the markets. We don't. It's doing right now what I thought it would be doing, which is I said that it probably for February and March will seriously go up. And I think that's what we're going to see happen all the way through March. Then we'll have to see. Currently, as you probably know, the G Fund, and just so everybody knows, the G Fund within a TSP plan, which is the Thrift Savings Plan, which is what federal employees invest in, is currently paying about 0.76%. Now, if you think about it, even though that's a little interest rate overall in comparison, it's a pretty high interest rate for you to be guaranteed with absolutely no risk to your principal at all. I have a saying that if you don't know what to do when it comes to is the market going to go up or is the market going to go down, do half. Put half in and see what happens when you see these markets start to decline. Just something for you to think about. Also, you know, a long time ago when I was doing retirement planning and really seeing clients, we would look at their retirement accounts. And when you actually have enough money to retire, you don't really need any more, even at low interest rates, whatever it may be, when you have enough and you know you have enough and you're within a few years of retirement, why not keep that money safe and sound and invest other money that you may have to take advantage of upward movements in the market? And if downward movements in the market happen, who cares? So just think about that. But we're going to have to wait another month or two for us to really see, is this market going to decline? What's going to happen? But if it does start to decline, the good thing is you are in a lifestyle 2040 fund. So they probably have you more conservatively invested than if you were in like a 2060 fund or you weren't going to retire for many years. So we're going to have to wait and see. But if you don't know what to do and you want to protect what you need, protect what you need. And by the way, yes, you can transfer back to any other funds with no fees. Next question, KT. Okay. Hi, Susie. I'm currently trying to dig myself out of financial ruin. So this is a fast forward. After a divorce, my two-year-old needed a transplant. I needed to leave my job to care for my daughter in those two years. My emergency fund had dwindled to zero. 
I began to live on my credit cards and eventually spent all of my 401k. Consequently, I fell behind on my credit card payments and now have a total of four charge-offs. What's that? <laughs> no. What is a charge-off? See, only KT would ask that question because obviously she's never not paid her credit cards in full at the but end of every month. It means, KT, that you haven't been paying your credit cards. So the credit card companies have charged off the debt. They've said, KT Travis is never going to pay these bills. She hasn't been paying these bills. So we're just going to write it off as a debt. So we get to take it off our taxes. And you, we're going to sell this debt to some lender, right? Hmm. So they've charged it off. So now it appears on your credit report oh, as a, a serious ding. ding, 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 ding. Okay. So the, the rest of the story, I've paid off my car based on your three-year financing rule and all four charge-offs. Oh, so she paid them off. Yeah, but I'm going to tell you about why oh, she didn't have kept, to. Wait, and kept other credit cards three. I've managed to maintain what's left of my credit. My FICO, well, listen to this, everyone. My FICO score dropped from 814 to 626. I pay all my bills on time, keep a low credit card utilization rate, or 5%. My score remains stagnant. So is there any way to remove the charge-offs from my credit report? Are they the reason why my score hasn't increased? Many thanks. Oh, and then she wrote a sweet note. This is from Gigi. She said, Susie, you're amazing. So relieved you recovered from your surgery. Tell everybody about my seems, progress, Seems KT. like ages ago. So Susie does very diligently a therapy with acupuncture and massage almost daily to work on her left arm, which still gives her a little bit of problems. It's little nerves that have to find their way home. And this week, after this very intense, almost daily therapy, she, the, we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, and I started crying, everybody. I was so happy. I started crying with such joy. It's been heartbreaking for me to see Susie in pain. And this process has been quite painful, but we're blessed. We're happy that she's going to be great. And we're seeing the light at the tunnel. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So Gigi, a few things and a few things that I want all of you to know. Once you are 90 days past due on your credit, right? 90 days, you now have a serious ding on your credit report. And even if you pay it off, it's not going to help your FICO score on any level. So a lot of people feel like, oh, I have a charge off. If I pay that off, it's going to improve my FICO score. No, it won't. Once you are 90 days past due, you have been dinged big time. So what that means for all of you, by the way, is if you are late on credit cards, and now you're able to start paying them off again, start paying, look at the credit cards that are not 90 days past due. And those are the ones that you should concentrate on. And the ones that are 90 days or longer past due, well, really, at that point, it's not going to help you a whole lot. So just so you know that the only thing that's going to help you is time. 
time. Doesn't matter how much money you save. It doesn't matter what's in your 401k plan. It doesn't matter about the Roth IRAs or anything like that. What they want to see is that you are consistently paying your bills. You're not getting in trouble again, and you're just going to have to be patient. If you do want to help your FICO score, as it was suggested by one of the earlier emails that we read, that all you have to do is if you know people such as a parent or anybody that has a high FICO score, if they simply add your name onto their credit cards as an authorized user, then that should help your FICO score as well. It cannot hurt theirs no matter what you do. But if their FICO score starts to go down and they become delinquent, then it will hurt your FICO score. So just be patient, girlfriend. Really, you're in the 600s. Before you know it, you'll be back in the 700s, back in the 800s, and everything will be okay. If you can get through what you got through with your daughter, your FICO score really is no big deal. Yeah, she can do it. Okay, next question is from Gail. I'm 62 years old. I was married to a great guy for 30 years, but not really great with money. We had twin sons, and they're now 24 years of age. But my husband passed away in June 2019. I always thought I was getting his pension, and so did he. Apparently, he checked the wrong box on the pension form, and I got nothing. You know, Susie, we get a lot of these questions. Yeah, but before you even go on, KT, Gail, I want you to listen to me. Normally, if a spouse takes less than a 50-50 pension, which means that upon his or her death, that the spouse would get less than half of what the your spouse is getting, the spouse legally has to sign off on that. I find it very strange that if he checked the wrong box, which said upon his death, you get nothing, that they did not make you say okay or give permission for that, or that would allow spouses all the time to exclude their spouse. And if you're married, legally, you can't do that. You should go back and check. If there was a violation from the corporation that they did not require him to have you sign permission to get less than a 50% joint and survivor benefit. If, really. that, if that's the case, Susie, do they, have, do they owe her the money? You betcha they do. Ooh. I would so check that out if I were you. It just doesn't seem right that's to me. That's great advice because we get quite a few of these, Gail. So find out. So he, she then says, he did have 175000 life insurance policy. I also paid 60000 for a year-round two-bedroom, two-bath mobile home a mile from the beach in September 2019. I only have 80000 in savings. The total cost to, to run and operate my mobile home is 800 a month. I rent it for $1,400 a month. I'm making about 600 a month from the mobile home. So my Wait, question, How many does she rent it out for the whole year? Or for, oh, so she rents it out for eight months out of the year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So my question is, I was offered $100,000 for the mobile home. It's 25 years old. Should I sell it and invest the 100K or keep it? Well, 
I have to tell you, my dear Gail, if I were you, I would keep it. Okay. Oh, my God. Wait a minute. If this was a quizzy, I would have gotten another ink. Why don't you sell it? It's 25 years old. Are you ready? Yeah. You sure? Yeah, it's going to fall apart soon. <laughs> <laughs> She's getting $1,400 a month for it. She, her costs are 800 a month. So she nets $600 a month, and she does that for eight months. That's $4,800 a year. And the house, all right, if she gets $100,000 for this mobile home, that's a 4.8% return on her money because she's also going to probably have to pay taxes on that 100000 if she sells it. So where today is she going to get a 4.8% return on her money? And also, I'm sure if she only rents it for eight months a year, she's using it for the other, for three, the other four or three four. or whatever it may be and, and enjoying it. So no, Gail, keep the home. I think it's a great investment for you. All right, Susie, next question. This is from Ayana. I initially had only traditional retirement accounts until listening to you. Since then, I have diligently invested in only Roth accounts. After your recent podcast, I decided to speak to my accountant about slowly transitioning my traditional to Roths. He shared a view that I believe has some merit, and so I want to share it with you. The accountant said by the time many Roth accounts are ready to retire, the government will change policies, removing some of the Roth benefits we enjoy today. For example, he believes the distribution of Social Security funds will be dependent on our other retirement funds, such as Roth. Although they may not change the Roth policies, they will find a way to tax the benefit through other means. What's your take on this, Susie? So lastly, I maxed out my HSA. I was advised HSAs are a great vehicle, not taxed on the front end or the back end. Would you agree? And that's from Ayana. Ayana, first of all, absolutely. HSAs, and I've said this before, and you can go back and look at other podcasts, that the health savings account, if you're able to have one and can afford it, is the absolute best retirement account of all because you put in money and you get a tax deduction. When you want to take money out, when you use it for a qualified medical expense, so that is the catch. It is tax-free. And while it's in there, you can also invest it and let it grow. So I love health savings accounts. As far as what your accountant said, are you kidding me? Are you just kidding me? I was going to say, you need a new accountant. While he may have some merit, who cares? Because if you do a traditional IRA or you do something else right now, you're still going to be taxed on Social Security. You're still going to have all those things go wrong for you. So why not just go for it? I would do a Roth. I would do a Roth. I would do a Roth. If you think about it, it's not just what happens when you retire. What if you need the money before you retire? Remember, any money that you originally contribute to a Roth IRA, you can take out it any time you want without taxes or penalties, regardless of your age or how long it's been in there. When you leave it to your beneficiaries, let's say you never take it out. 
because you don't have to take it out and you leave it to your beneficiaries, it will be tax-free. Do I think that the government is going to come in and change how Roth IRAs work? I do not. Do you know that forever they've been saying that? When these first came out, people would say, oh, Susie, why would we do a Roth IRA? It's not always. Please just do a Roth. That's what I think. Okay, Susie, we have one more question. This is from Davida. So, hi, Susie and KT. I have a quick question for you. How much can you contribute max per year with all your accounts combined, like a 401k, an IRA, and an HSA? My friend mentioned that you can't max the 401k and the IRA, but I thought those were completely separate. This should have been your quizzy, KT, right? So first of all, what's an HSA? <laughs> Health savings plan. That's my girl. Okay, so here's what you know, need to know, Davida. Your friend could not be more wrong if he or she tried. So you didn't tell me how old you are. So I'm just going to give you an idea. If you're under 50, and you are single, because I'm assuming you're also single, because you didn't say anything else other about yourself, right? The most you can put into an IRA, whether it's a traditional or a Roth, is $6,000 if you're under 50, or $7,000 a year if you're 50 or older. The most you can put into a 401k plan, whether it's traditional or Roth, under 50 is $19,500 a year or $26,000 a year if you are 50 and over. A health savings account, your maximum contribution that you can put in under the age of 55, by the way, so an HSA is different, is $3,600 a year. 55 and older, you can put $4,600 a year. So if you totaled all those up, under 50, it would be $29,100 that you could put somewhere. 50 or older, it would be $37,600. And you absolutely can do all three. All right, Katie, this one is for you. Is it quizzy time? Susie? It's quizzy time. Oh, no. Now, all of you need to play along, okay? Hi, Susie and KT, but I swiped this one from you. <laughs> I recently lost my grandpa due to COVID. I'm so sorry. It's from Amanda. I'm so sorry, Amanda. Yeah. I found out that he left me $5,000. I am trying to figure out the best way to use this money. I have debts, including my car loan mortgage, and approximately $7,000 on a loan for my wedding last year. I do not have a 12-month emergency fund, but I do fully fund my Roth IRA and max the match amount for my company in my 401k. Here's the quizzy, KT and everybody. Would it be better to pay off my wedding loan of $7,000 or increase my emergency fund? Or is there another suggestion you have? So she's got $5,000. She has a $7,000 wedding loan. She has other debt, but she does not have a 12-month 
emergency fund. What should she do, KT? Well, I would do half. I do half of the money in an emergency fund Mm -hmm. and have to start paying off the wedding loan. So grandpa would be happy that he paid for part of that wedding. Now, how, (laughs) what what, what would you all do? Do you agree with that answer? Because these are the things that you need to think about so that if that ever happens to you, you kind of know what you should do. Do you know why I said that? Why? Because it makes you feel good you're doing both. You're paying down the loan and you're starting finally to kick into the emergency fund, which is really, really important. Right. So I think that's what I would do. So how do I What would you do? I'm going to about to tell you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Right. So it's, it's, how do I give you a half ding, 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 and a half. (laughs) Put it all. She's going to say, put it all in the emergency fund. Right. Do you think that? Yeah. Yeah. Would you? Absolutely not. Oh, ding, ding, ding. (laughs) I'll ding myself. So Amanda, this is what I would do if I were you. I would take the $5,000 and I would pay down your wedding. And the reason I would do that is I have a feeling that the interest rate on your wedding loan is at a pretty high rate. And I just think grandpa would be so thrilled to know that he essentially paid, paid for, for the your wedding. wedding, which you got right, Katie. Yeah, that would be good. Now, why wouldn't I put it in an emergency fund? What is she going to do if she doesn't have enough money? She says that she doesn't quite have the 12-month emergency fund, but she also told us that she has, because she fully funds her Roth IRA. So she can pull out emergency money from that Roth. If she needs it. If you need it. Correct. And if she's fully funding her Roth. She's got some good emergency money. She's funding it to at least $6,000 a year, because I'm assuming she's under 50. And if she's done that for two years or three years... So she has twelve or $18,000 that she could pull from there in case of an emergency. So a Roth can serve as an emergency fund as well. Okay, Amanda, there you go. Make grandpa happy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, that does bring us to the end of another Ask Susie Anything. On Sunday, I think we're going to go to Susie's school again, just so you know, because I want to continue talking about what happened with GameStop and a few of the lessons that I really want us to take away from this. So we could be true investors, knowing what stocks to buy because they deserve to be bought, what stocks to sell because they deserve to be sold, and to really know how to be smart with money. Remember, everybody, if you want to send in a question, you can do so on the app. Just go to Google Play or Apple Apps, search for Susie Orman, and you can download the Women in Money app which is a fabulous app. And right there is where you can ask questions. If we choose it, we will answer it on the podcast. You know, when I used to do the CNBC show, at the end of every single show, I had a saying. And I loved that saying. Do you remember, KT, what it was? People first, then money, then things. But do you remember how I used to totally say it? I used to say, And remember, there's only one thing that matters when it comes to your money, and it is this, people first, 
then money, then things. Now you stay Stay safe. safe. And I may just start doing that again right here on the podcast. See you on Sunday. Bye-bye. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman is acting as a certified financial planner, advisor, a certified financial analyst, an economist, CPA, accountant, or lawyer. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman make any recommendations as to any specific securities or investments. All content contained in this podcast is for informational and general purposes only and does not constitute financial accounting or legal advice. You should consult your own tax, legal, and financial advisors regarding your particular situation. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman accepts any responsibility for any losses which may arise from accessing or reliance on information in this podcast. And to the fullest extent permitted by law, we exclude all liability for loss, damages, direct or indirect, arising from the use of this information. The must-have documents discussed in this podcast are legal documents created by a lawyer and distributed by Hay House.